morning and happy Father's Day uh, to everybody who serves as a father in any way, in any role, uh, pouring into the next generation. Thank you for who you are and what you do. Today we are continuing in our series called Catalyst. We are walking through the book of Acts and we're discovering together how God is a catalyst for life and for life change. And what we want to do as followers of Jesus is we want to come with open arms, open hands and say, God, my life is yours. I want you to do what only you can do. Now today we're talking about uh, a subject that may be personal for some of us, even though we may not want to admit it. And it's letting go of anger and offense. I want you to think about the world we live in. It seems like Everybody is getting offended by everything all the time. I think some of us wake up in the morning looking for something to be offended by. Now, before you say, you know, it's not me, you start pointing fingers. I, I follow a lot of you on social media and I overhear conversations. I know how many of us spend day in and day out offended by the things going on around us. I think it's helpful for us to think about the definition of offense. If you to look up uh, the definition of offense, you'll find things like uh, personal insult, uh, personal moral outrage, or just personal displeasure. That's a lot about me, isn't it? Right? Like, I'm not getting what I want or what I think or the way I would have things, and so I'm offended. Or just think about some of the things that we get offended by. You know, we get offended and hurt when people that we maybe barely know or we don't even know at all voice an opinion that's different from ours, don't we? Or we get offended when somebody votes for a different candidate than what we voted for. We get offended when somebody cheers for or wears the colors and the, the name of a team that we don't cheer for. Some of us are offended this morning that Mississippi State is in Omaha and that we're back here and our team didn't make it, right? Some of us, we get offended by little things like that. Some of us, you know, we get offended when public people speak up about social issues and we get offended when they don't speak up about public issues. And we are people who like to be offended by everything all the time. That's the world that we live in. But here's what I want to lift up for us today is that what we find in the story of Jesus, the way of Christ, is a totally different way where we don't have to be held captive to offense. But there's a way that we can live into where all of our energy goes into health and wholeness and life. A way that where the effort that we spend pours us into actual life change. A way that, that moves us toward opportunities for reconciliation if we choose that. But we need to start and recognize that there's a problem with being offended. Yeah, there are things that are offensive. Yeah, there are things that are wrong in the world. Yes, there are things that Christ wants us to be burdened by that we should stand up and say, that's not right. But that's a different thing from saying, well, this is not the way that I would have it or I want it or what I think. So there's a real problem when we hold on to offense. What are some of the problems when we hold on to offense? Well, one of the things that happens when we hold on to offense is that holding on to offense requires mental and emotional energy that is better used on the mission. 
I mean, how many of us are getting so worked up about what somebody did or what somebody said and our mind spins and our heart gets wrecked and we just get hurt and we worked up all that emotional and mental energy going into something about being angry about something happening and rather than saying, no, what has God called me to do to do something about it? Another problem that happens from holding on to offense, holding on to offense does not accomplish anything helpful. And all that energy going into, you know, my, building up my own point of view and, and, and getting concrete, you know, fixing myself and what I already think and what I already feel and just getting worked up and angry rather than saying, you know, I'm going to spend this energy moving towards something that's helpful. Or what about this? Holding on to offense keeps us separated from others. And this is absolutely critical, church. The world around us, and I don't know about you, but sometimes it's so easy for me to, to lose focus and lose perspective and, and realize there's a whole lot of people who are not walking with Jesus. A whole lot of people who do not know the love and the freedom that's found in what Jesus has done for us. And they need a, a message of hope and reconciliation. And I lose that focus sometimes that the world outside of this gathering is looking at us. And you know what they see? They see a whole lot of people who are angry, who are upset, and they know all the things that we're against and none of the things that we're for. Because when we hold on to offense, it separates us from others. And so what would it look like for us to choose that different way that leads to wellness and whole being, that leads to actual life change, that creates opportunities for connection and reconciliation. I want you to, to wrestle with this truth, is that you and I, as followers of Jesus, we don't want to hold on to offense. We want to hold on to hope. Holding on to offense, what does that do? Holding on to offense holds us captive. But when we hold on to hope, it will set us free. That we want to hold on to the hope of that God is God and God is good and he is at work and he is doing what we can't do. That all those things that we're burdened by and we worked up by and we get upset by that God is broken for the sin of the world and that he is working and he is calling us to join with him. Not just to get mad, but to get active and say, what are we going to do to bring the love of Christ to the world? And so we're not going to hold on to offense, but we're going to hold on to that hope. This was the model of the early church. This is what the church did. We have a lot to worry about, but we have nothing like the first 300 years of the church had to worry about. Nothing. We've got COVID. They had plagues. We've got governments and leaders who may not live life the way that we want to, but they were hounding Christians, hunting them down and killing them and, and persecuting them and throwing them in them prison. And yet they didn't get caught up in all the things that wasn't, wasn't like they wanted them to be or, or weren't right. Instead, they said, what are we going to do to join with God and what he's doing in the world? And we hold on to the hope that God is still God and God is still good. And we see an example of this and where we, we're working through the book of Acts and we've gotten to Acts chapter 15. And we see an example of this, of how they held on to hope in the midst of offense. Now, what I want us to see first in Acts chapter 15 are there are three examples of offense where a group of people saw something that they didn't think was right and they got offended. So let's walk through what are those three examples of offense. Well, here's the first, in the first three verses of Acts chapter 15. Certain people 
came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted, and this news made all the believers very glad. All right, let's go back to verse 1. What exactly is happening here? What is the offense? So a group of people come, and here's their claim. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So what are they saying? That we cannot be taking the gospel to people who are not yet Jews. That unless you are circumcised and you follow the way of Moses, then you cannot be saved. And so they go to Antioch to bring this argument. Now, why do they go to Antioch? Because this is the home of Paul and Barnabas. This is where they've set their home base. And what are Paul and Barnabas doing? They're spending all their time and their energy traveling throughout the empire, telling people about the gospel that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. But not just Jewish people, but they're spending a whole lot of time telling Gentiles, who by the way, are not circumcised, that you can be saved by faith in Christ. And so these Jewish believers are offended. They are upset. They come to the church and they say, we've got to do something about this. We're going to come back to this. But what's the second offense? What happens? Uh, pick up in verse 4 and we see another group of people that are offended. When they came to Jerusalem, so Paul and Barnabas are sent to Jerusalem to deal with this issue that these Jewish believers brought up. They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, and here comes offense number two, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. Now this may seem at first like the same argument as the first group of people, but it's slightly different. See, this group of believers from the party of the Pharisees are not saying that we don't take the gospel to people who are not Jewish. They already dealt with that. Peter brought the gospel to Cornelius, a non-Jewish person. The Holy Spirit fell on that family that clearly God was speaking to the Gentiles. So what are they worked up about? They're saying that once you accept the gospel, now you got to become living like a Jew. Specifically, they wanted believers to follow something called the haka, or in Hebrew meaning the way. That it was all of the rules for daily living of following God, including circumcision. And so what they're worked up about is, yes, we want to take this good news about Jesus to people. But once they understand who Jesus is, they've got to follow the way. They've got to follow the rules. They've got to do all these Jewish things that have been prescribed for us for hundreds and thousands of years. And they're offended. What's offense number three? Verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. 
Here comes offense number three. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. Paul was offended. He's upset. He turns to Barnabas and he says, listen, we were traveling and we were bringing the gospel to people. And you know who wasn't with us when we did that? Mark. For some reason, we had just gotten started and Mark headed back to Jerusalem. Why in the world were you taking with us to go back to all these churches that we set up? And Paul is so upset that his best buddy in ministry, the one who got him started in the church in the beginning after he met Jesus, this great encourager, Barnabas, Paul says, you know what? You just go your way and I'll go my way. I mean, there was a sharp division between them. Three offenses, very real offenses that happened early on in the life of the church. But what I want us to see this morning is that these three offenses really represent for us two kinds of offenses that every one of us face, sometimes on a daily basis. Here's the first. Sometimes we have offense that's a misguided offense. Now think about the Jewish believers or the believers from the party of the Pharisees who came to Antioch or who came to Jerusalem and said, hey, the Gentiles are not living life the way I live life. You know, did we sign up to follow all these rules? Didn't we sign up to live our life a certain way? You can't be messing with the way things are. And they were really upset. Now, I don't want to paint them as bad people. They had good intentions. They, they wanted people to experience what they thought they were experiencing. And so they were upset that these people were, were not living life the right way. And they brought it to the leaders of the church. But the problem was is they were misguided in their offense. On the behalf of the Jewish believers, they didn't realize that God was moving among the Gentiles. That there was a man named Cornelius who had received the gospel through Peter. Who had been saved. Who had received the Holy Spirit even though he was not a Jew or brought into the Jewish people. Or the, the, fam, the believers who were a part of the, the Pharisees didn't realize that God was bringing a new covenant, a new way of doing things, that he wasn't abolishing the, the old covenant, but he was fulfilling the old covenant and bringing people into a new way of living, that they were not cutting flesh, but God was cutting at their heart and at their spirit to bring them into a new way of life. They were misguided. Uh, they, they weren't hateful. They, they weren't mean. They were just misguided. They didn't have all the information. They didn't have clear understanding. And the reality is much of the things that we are so worked up about, so angry about, so hurt about that we stiff arm people and we, we cement ourselves in our positions is because we don't have all the information. Or maybe we don't have a clear understanding uh, of what's really happening. Or we don't see into a person's heart. And the biggest problem with that, because we have good intentions too, where we're not trying to be mean or hurtful or hateful, the biggest problem is that we don't know that we don't know, and we don't know what we don't know. And we get cemented in our positions and angry and hurt, not knowing that there's more to be understood. 
We've got to watch out for misguided offense. But that's not the only kind of offense. We actually see another kind here in Acts chapter 15, and that's a justified offense. Paul is offended that Mark left, that Mark didn't go with them. And you know what really happened? Mark really didn't go with them. Paul's not making it up. Paul wasn't missing some of the information. Paul was basing his offense on something that really happened. And you and I are sometimes going to be hurt and we're going to be offended and we're going to have outrage and we're going to have anger over things that really happen in our lives. And we need to have boundaries. We don't need to allow ourselves to continue to get hurt. More importantly, we need to stand up for others who are being hurt, who cannot stand up for themselves. That is the call of the church that over history, the church has failed to live fully up to, that we must stand up for the broken and the hurting and the ones who cannot protect themselves. That we need to do that, but we don't hold on to personal offense. But think about it. What if... Paul had spent the rest of his life just hurt and angry and offended over what happened with Mark. What would the people see as he's traveling around the world sharing the gospel? They would see a person who's bitter. They would see a person who is angry. They would see a person who was belittled. They would see a person who was fixated on something that had happened to him instead of a person who was fixated on something that God had done for him that Jesus did what only he could do. And I wonder how many of us are living our lives and what they, people around us see is a person who's bitter, a person who's angry, a person who's fixated on something that's been done to us instead of what God has done for us. So what do we do? There's going to be moments of misguided offense. There's going to be moments uh, of justified offense. What do we do? What does God call us to do? He's calling us to be a people who will not be held captive to offense, but we will live and hope and be set free. Again, I want to tell, let's focus in on this truth that holding on to offense holds us captive, but holding on to hope sets us free because God is a God of hope. He's God of grace. He's God of new beginnings. He's a God that always is at work. And so we can be a people who are willing to embrace grace. And this is what the early church did. In both of these cases of misguided offense and justified offense, the church was willing to embrace grace. Let's take this first one, this case of misguided offense. Let's just talk about what happened in Jerusalem. So the Pharisees come to the leaders of the church in Jerusalem and they're upset. These believers that have accepted Christ, they're not following the haka, they're not following the way, they're not following the rules that we've all agreed to. And they need to sign up. They need to line up. They need to get with it. And the church followed a pattern that was so very important that you and I could follow today. They did three things. The first thing that they did is they listened well. You think the, the leaders of the early church in Jerusalem did not say to those Pharisees, just get out of here with that junk. You have no idea what you're talking about. That's not what they did. They said, okay, come and tell me about what you're concerned about. And let's have some conversation about this. And they listened well. And they listened to Paul and Barnabas. And they listened to the people who had been impacted by their ministry. They listened well. The second thing that they did is that they paid attention to what God was doing. They paid attention. You know what? God saved 
a man by the name of Cornelius who was not a Jew. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit fell on him in his household. What in the world? And what about Paul and Barnabas? They're traveling around the world and people who are not Jews are being saved. What in the world? And they paid attention to what God was doing. And then the third thing that they did is they learned from Scripture. It wasn't just their point of view. It wasn't just their opinion. It wasn't just what they thought should be. But they got into God's Word and they began to realize God is a God of the nations. God is a God who said, you're going to be a light to the Gentiles. God is a God who said, I'm going to send you out. I'm going to fill my people with the Spirit of God. And there'll be visions and there'll be dreams and there's going to be a new thing. And they search God's word and God's truth. And then the leader of that Jerusalem church, the brother of Jesus, a guy named James, stands up and says, we've taken all things to account. We've listened. We've looked. We've paid attention. We've learned from the word of God. And we need to find a way that honors God's word and God's kingdom and his gospel and God's people. And James stood up and this is what he said in Acts 15 verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm looking at this argument that's taking place and I'm like, this is what you came up with? Out of all the things, James, out of all the things that you could lift up, that here's what we're going to hold them accountable to, this is what you come up with? Now, what we need to understand is that James didn't just pluck this out of thin air, but he's rooting himself in the story of God through the people of God. This comes from Leviticus chapter 17 and 18. And the reason that James chose this to be the, the root of what would draw them together is Leviticus chapter 17 and 18 talks about what do people who are not a part of Israel, who want to be a part of Israel, call to do. The resident alien, the foreigner who is pursuing God, what does life look like for them? Because what James didn't want to do is discount the experience of the Jewish believers. And what James didn't want to do is discount the, the life and the experience of the people who were Gentiles who were being brought to God. But he wanted to find a way that was rooted in the truth of God and also the love of God. And what James is lifting up is there's a way where we can remove the boundaries for people to come to the grace and the love of God. And look what he says. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. I wonder how much of the time we are rooted in our position and we're hurt and we're angry and we unknowingly make it difficult for others to come to God. And they're looking at us and like, if that's what it looks like to follow Jesus, I don't want any of that. I don't want to be angry all the time. I don't want to be offended all the time. I don't want to be you know, shouting all the time. And James says there's another way. A way that we can embrace grace. Or what about the case 
of the justified offense. What happened with Paul? Well, thankfully, through the scripture, we realize that Paul didn't spend his whole life offended and angry and hurt, but he was open to what God would do. He was open to reconciliation. He was open to a new thing. Look what we find out in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul is writing from prison to Timothy, his disciple, and this is what he says. Do your best, Timothy, to come to me quickly. For Demas, because of he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. And then check this out. Get Mark and bring him with you. Why? Because he is helpful to me in my ministry. At some point along the way, there was reconciliation. At some point along the way, the offense was laid down. At some point along the way, Paul and Mark said, you know what, it's not worth it. For the sake of the mission, for the sake of the relationship, we can choose a different way. All right, so what do we do with this? What are some principles that we can take with us of like really putting some things in action about embracing grace. I don't want to hold on to offense because offense holds me captive. I want to hold on to hope. God is a God of hope. He's doing something new. I want to be set free. How do I practically put that into my life? Well, let me lift up some principles for us. Here's the first. Practice empathy. If you want to disarm offense in your heart and in the hearts of others, practice empathy. Begin to ask yourself questions like, I wonder what it's like to be in their life. I wonder what they're experiencing. I wonder what they're thinking. I wonder what they're feeling. Even when I disagree, I wonder what it was that brought them to that point where they thought that or felt that. Maybe I don't have all the information. Maybe I don't have full understanding. But even if I do, what good does it do for me to draw a line in the sand and say, you're out of here and I'm going to go my way and you have no part of me? Now, yeah, we need to have healthy boundaries, and yeah, we need to, you know, be able to protect ourselves, but to carry the burden, or the hurt, the anger with us is not helpful. I'm going to be lay that down and say, you know what, I, I'm going to look on you with what? With compassion. I want to look on you with compassion. There, there's a progression that I would encourage every single one of us to commit ourselves to, that when we get to a place of anger and offense, and hurt with a person or a group of people or a message that we would be willing to say, God, I need you to speak in me. I need you to move through me so I can lay this down. And what I want to do is I want to move from anger and I want to see this person as a broken person that, and I want to have pity on them and I want to realize that there, there's hurt and anger and pain in their life that's brought them to this place. But God, I don't want to stay in a place of pity because pity says that's where that person will always be. I want to move to compassion. I want to love them with a heart like you love them because I can see in them, God, something you're doing. That where they are is not where they have to be, but you are a God of new beginnings, a new hope, a forgiveness, of grace. God, let me look on your people with compassion. What it look like for us to practice empathy? A second thing that we can do is find truth. Find truth. We must be a people who are willing to suspend judgment until we find the truth. 
We're so quick to think that we have all the answers and we, we know everything and we've lived it all and we, we've got all the, you know, we know it, everything that there is to know and we just make these snap judgments about why people do what they do and why they say what they say and why they're wrong and why I'm right. And what if we just said, I'm going to pause for making judgments and I'm going to search for the truth. And I'm going to make sure that before I get upset that I have reason to be upset. That maybe I don't have all the information. Maybe I don't have full understanding. Maybe this is a person who has lived through and walked through some things that God, I hope I never have to live through and walk through. God, maybe they haven't had people to speak truth into them or love into them the way I have. And I need to find truth and make sure I'm rooted in truth before I make judgment. A third thing that we can do is to prioritize grace and invitation. That we would start by saying, I serve a God of grace who does not give me what I deserve, but rather he gives me his unmerited favor and love and mercy and forgiveness. And if I'm going to follow Jesus who died on the cross for me before I deserved it, because I could never deserve it, if that's the God I deserve, then I'm going to pour grace onto other people. And I'm not just going to withhold judgment. I'm not just going to withhold punishment. But there are going to be times where I give blessing and I give mercy and I give love even if they don't deserve it. And I will refuse to get drawn into arguments that take us nowhere because you know what? Sometimes the battle's not ours to fight. And we step into battles that are not ours and we fight with people in ways that we're not called to fight. Because maybe we don't have the relationship or we don't have the tools or we don't have the burden that God has specifically given us by the Spirit. And what we're called to do is just give grace. And we need to prioritize that invitation. God is a God of invitation. That we're not people who shut doors, but we leave the opportunity for reconciliation open. And that brings us to the final principle that we can follow is that we need to be a people who will choose repentance or forgiveness, or sometimes both. That if I get into it and I'm searching for truth and I need to find the answers of why am I offended and what's going on and maybe it has a lot more to do with me than it has to do with that person, you know, and I realize that I'm un, uh, unjustified in my offense and my anger and I may be projecting something on somebody. You know what I need to do? I need to turn and walk the other way. I need to change my direction. I need to change my attitude. I need to m work and say, God, will you forgive me? Will you, can we reconcile this? I was in the wrong. Man, that's hard to do. It is so hard to do to say, you know what? I was, I didn't have all the answers. I didn't have all the information. Or maybe, you know what? I was so mad and I realized it's because of something in my past or something I'm struggling with and it really didn't have much to do with you. That's hard to do. But you know what Jesus says? He calls us to die to self, to lay down the pride and, and to lay down the, the self-righteousness and say, we are all people in need of grace. And then there's going to be some times where you search for that truth and you realize, you know what? I was absolutely justified. This really happened and I was right to be angry and this shouldn't be. But you know what God calls me to do? He tells me to forgive, to not carry it with me, to not continue to, to hammer somebody over the head, to not continue to say, you got to make this right, but to say, you know what? I'm going to let it go. 
Maybe we can't make the relationship what it once was. Maybe I don't need to do life with you the way we once did, but I'm not going to carry the anger with me moving forward, and I've got to lay it down. And God has forgiven me, and I will forgive you. And what we do in that is we take the pressure off of us to fix somebody or to, to right somebody or to move somebody and put it back where it belongs on the Spirit of God. And say, God, you can change hearts. I cannot. What would be a people who are willing to embrace grace fully? I don't want to be a person and I don't want to be a church where everybody knows what I'm against. I don't want to be a person and I don't want to be a church where people see anger and offense and bitterness. I want to be a person and I want us to be a church where people look at us and say, those people are weird. <laughs> look at the way they love people. Look at the way that they, they know what's, what they believe is true and they hold on to it and they don't waver for it from it. But look at the grace that they pour on people. Oh my goodness. Look at the way that they can walk away from a fight. Look at the way that they don't take the bait. What is it that they've got? That's the kind of person, that's the kind of church I want to be. So let me ask you to just do a little self-evaluation this morning. Do you find yourself angry a lot? Do you find yourself drawn in to arguments? Do you find yourself, uh-oh, here we go. Do you find yourself compelled to make that point on Facebook one more time? Do you have, find yourself compelled to tweet that thing one more time? Or to say that thing one more time? If you do, maybe it's time to, to, to do some work with God and say, Lord, I don't want to live in offense and anger anymore. I don't want to wear Superman's cape. I think it's my job to fix everybody. I want you to do what only you can do, God. And I will stand on truth, but I will love people fiercely. And I will give grace. And I will repent when I'm wrong. And I will give forgiveness when I'm right. But God, I need you to set me free. The only offense that we should really ever be concerned about is our offense to a holy and eternal God. In that respect, we are all in the same boat. We've rejected God. We live selfishly from the moment of our first breath. We want our own way. We're, we're ridden with pride and greed and lust. And we need forgiveness and we need to be set free. And we should be focused on that offense and here's the good news. With that offense, God offers forgiveness. God does not say, come to me when you get it figured out. God says, come to me, all of you who are weak and heavy laden. For I'll give you rest for your souls. Jesus said, I did not come to condemn the world. What did I do? I came to seek and save the lost. Jesus is pursuing you just like he is every other person. That person that you can't stand and you're so offended by, Jesus came to seek them out and to save their soul. He died on the cross for them. He died on the cross for you. I don't want to be a person who lives offended by people who Jesus died for. I don't want to be a person 
who expects people who are not filled with the Spirit of God to act like they are. I don't want to be a person who looks at a world that is broken and lost with hatred anymore. I want to be a person who looks with compassion. And the, real, the realization that I've had, and I hope that you'll have, is I cannot do it on my own by white-knuckling it and trying harder. I need the Spirit of God to set me free. So here's what I want to do, is I just want to give you a simple invitation that I don't know where you're at in your walk with Christ. Maybe you haven't ever really received him and you're just angry at yourself and you're angry at God and you're angry at the world. I just want you to be set free. Maybe you're a person who said yes to Jesus, but the world has creeped its way into your heart and you're just bitter and you're angry. And I don't want us to live that way anymore. I want you to be set free. So here's the invitation is that wherever we are, that we would be willing to say, Holy Spirit, set me free. Set me free to live by your grace, in your grace, through your grace. So if you'll stand, we're gonna sing an, a, a closing song together. And like we do each and every week, these altar rails are open. And if you are in a place where you feel like you need to be set free in any way, I pray that you'll either kneel in your seat where you are, kneel at home if you're watching online, or come to these altars and kneel. If you want me or Hunter to pray with you, just wave us over, we'd love to do that. But do not live your life another second in bondage to anger and hatred, whether it's self-hatred or hatred for the world or hatred for somebody in your life. Let's be set free. So let me pray for us and then we'll sing one more time. God, we love you. We praise you. We celebrate you. We need you to set us free, Lord. We need you to do what only you can do. God, we need you to remove the calluses and the bitterness and the frustration and the anger, the self-righteousness, the narrow perspectives, Lord. Give us forgiveness for others. Let us receive your forgiveness for us. Give us grace, Lord, to just pour out on others. God, we want to be a people who will stand firm in your truth and not waver from it, but we want to speak that truth with great love and gentleness and kindness to a lost and hurting and broken world. We need a fresh move, a new move of the Spirit where people will see a church that is alive with the Spirit of God, filled with love and compassion and boldness and truth. So come, Lord Jesus, move in us today. Holy Spirit, come set us free to live in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.